This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today DFS. My name is Sian Ajad, and I'm taking over this week for Frank Stample, who quite frankly is neck deep in baseball. And as always, you can catch him on the Fantasy Baseball Today pod. But today, I am here with TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS for 4 for 4 Football. You can catch him on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. TJ, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk a little, uh, a little off-season DFS. This is my favorite part. I love the, the theory side of DFS. And that's honestly, I feel like that's the side where you really get your wins. And I think TJ Hernandez is really the guy, one of the, one of the guys in this off-season series that we absolutely have to talk to. And if those of you that are listening, if you don't already follow TJ Hernandez at, again, TJ Hernandez, that's super easy. It's just his full name. Uh, go ahead and give him a follow. He puts out a lot of really helpful content, especially in the DFS space. And we're going to touch on that a little bit. But TJ, I did want to ask you, obviously, you're pretty big in the NFL DFS yeah. space. But outside of that, uh, are you are you dabbling? Are you fully immersed in some of these other DFS uh, sports? Uh, not until this year. I mean, my kind of my, my goal when I, I got into this was just to somehow make money watching football so i've always been uh very hyper concentrated on football but this year with uh formula one launching in, on DraftKings, um i i kind of got into that it's just it's it's a new sport and i was like this is perfect timing it lines up perfectly with nfl offseason uh, so do things like baseball and and golf but everyone's already really good at those so i was like mm-hmm. let me try this new sport and see if uh maybe i could figure something out here and it's interesting because I'm in South Florida, and just the other day I was actually Ooh. down. Uh, I was watching one of the, the tennis matches at the Miami yeah. Open, and I was walking on the track as I was going to my car, and I, I literally was like, "Well, what's this?" Like I didn't yeah. even really see what I was walking on, and it is big time down here. I mean, this is a this is a big thing, and I'm, I'm curious, TJ, when you get into a new sport or mm-hmm. what some people might deem like a niche sport, I, I feel like there's an obvious edge right off the bat. Have For you, sure. Have you found that with your, I don't know how long you've been doing it, but the, the, at least yeah. a few months, I assume. Yeah, I, I mean, we're only four races in. Yesterday was only the fourth race, race of the season. And, and like I said, DraftKings just launched it this year. So mm-hmm. until four races ago, no one had ever played Formula One DFS. So I, I with any new sport, there's going to be an edge just because one, people just aren't going to know the sport very well. I mean, for those that have are new to formula one or or haven't watched formula one the netflix series drive to survive has really got people into it Mm -hmm. but i i think the the edge obviously obviously lies in doing your homework figuring out the sport figuring out the scoring system but i think just having a dfs background and being able to just apply generic showdown um theory to a new game is going to give you an edge um in that sport and we're seeing already with four races of data you can tell people are just 
putting out some really bad lineups and, and there's lineup builds, lineup constructions are always kind of going to dominate how you can be good at DFS sport. And it's going to let you pretty quickly uh, be able to pinpoint who knows what they're doing and who doesn't. So definitely seeing an early edge in it. Uh, and the prize pools are still relatively small, which obviously if you're playing the sport, you want them to be bigger. But at the same time, you're not attracting the sharks with those big the big prize pools either. So um, I, I think there's probably just a lot of people that are Formula One fans that want some action. But aren't necessarily good DFS players. Yeah, and I think you you mentioned like people who are not good DFS players, bad lineups. The one thing we try to do on Fantasy Football Today DFS, and that, that's that's me and, and Frank and, and Mike McClure, is, is try to sort of educate people. Obviously, week to week, what we got our plays. and But sure. really, last season, in the, in the preseason, we were really talking about theory. And, and that's really mm-hmm. what I want to get into with you. But let me ask you, how long have you been doing this? And was there sort of a uh, seminal moment where, TJ, you discovered hey, I'm pretty good at this. I should probably invest more time and perhaps money into this. Uh, well, it was a little bit by um, by, by force. Uh, I was big into uh, poker in the online poker days, and I, mm-hmm. I think you have a little bit of a poker background yourself. Uh, so so when, when Black Friday hit, uh, I was I was left kind of scrambling, and I don't know if you're familiar with uh, one of the old training sites, Deuces Cracked. I was pretty heavily involved with, with those guys, and, and uh, a couple of guys from there got into... DFS themselves so I was like let me try out this new thing and and one of the one of the old deuces crack guys he was working for he was actually working on the operator side there was a um, there was a sports betting website that was specifically horse racing and they kind of started their own DFS product so those horse race betting guys were basically their entire that was feeding their entire um, DFS uh, offerings so I jumped in there and I was like, let, let, me, let me see what I could do in here. Long story short, basically ended up buying up all their lobbies. And obviously back then, if you even knew what uh, a running back value was, you had an edge. So I was like, oh, uh-huh. I could make a couple, I could make a couple bucks doing this. And, and then uh, that, that, Obviously, that now is is it doesn't mean you're good. It's just I, I was in the the right spot at the right time. But from uh, from the content side of things, I I knew from poker from that explosion that if DFS was going to get big, and obviously we were hoping sports betting, but we we didn't know how that was going to work. That content was going to come along with it. So I I was kind of lucky enough to had seen how that had grown with poker and and got out in front of that a little bit and luckily it snowballed into some opportunities there's no guarantee there but uh luckily had a little bit of foresight there on that one that's great i I was actually in on the front end as well way before DraftKings and fanduel with a site called phantazzle.com oh wow i was do you had you heard of that no no that's that but uh, i i I was just like draft day and then um star street days like Mm -hmm. that's when i got into it yeah, and, and long story short on that, I was just producing content for them, and then they kind of went away because back then, we, we really weren't sure about the legalities of, yeah. of daily fantasy sports. And then it just, for me, I just kind of walked away from it. I was, I was doing my nine to five, and then boom, DraftKings comes down yeah. a few years later with FanDuel. And, you know, looking back, it's like, uh, maybe I should have done the TJ route and just kind of <laughs> stuck with it. But anyway, here we are. Uh, but let's focus on your, let's focus back to NFL DFS. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the first thing I want to know, is what contests you play in because i think when i ask you your perspective when it comes to lineup construction and fading chalk and things of that nature sure. i think it's it's important to know where your baseline is what what type of games contests are you playing yeah that this is and this has kind of evolved going back to those early um draft day start street days kind of from my poker background 
cash game grinder i, I kind of took that same approach to dfs a lot of cash games a ton of head to head that's kind of where i i uh kind of grinded my teeth in dfs over the last couple of years we've seen it, it's just harder uh to mm-hmm. cash games are harder everybody has um a a lineup generator a lineup optimizer the the most casual fan can find a pretty decent one nfl is the most popular sport even even the worst projections are pretty good so if you plug those into an optimizer for fandle and DraftKings, um you're, you're probably going to be able to be at least competitive in cash games now i still do play a, a fair amount of cash games but that was i was pretty much strictly playing those i've kind of moved on to the uh single entry three max higher stakes uh lower field tournaments and mm-hmm. obviously you're playing uh, a, a lot tougher competition but for uh how i like to play the game and how i think about the game mass multi-entry just isn't my thing even though that's what i've been doing in formula one pretty much exclusively but from a a football standpoint uh you can really get into the the macro of the game really like kind of like poker you're it's so much about what is your opponent doing when there's only a hundred uh lineups in the field and you can only play one lineup Uh, it goes so far beyond who's the best value this week so i've over the last i'd say two or three years i've really shifted my attention to um to higher stakes, small contest, and 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 really focusing on DraftKings. That's another thing that's kind of evolved is not trying to play everything. I, I still you know throw a couple lineups out everywhere, but really trying to hone in on on that specific game. Yeah, and I think that's a big miss for a lot of experienced players and a lot of new players. I think their assumption is okay. I'm playing DraftKings now. I play this big contest and I play this big contest, and yeah. their their discipline, if you will is okay well i'll just do i'll just max out my contest so i'll just play the single entry that has you know twenty thousand people in it or or ten thousand entries and they think they're being disciplined but and and by the way i'm I'm guilty of the same thing i'm not you know you know i it takes a while for you it's one thing to tell somebody hey this is how you should do it it's another thing for those people to internalize that advice and actually follow through on that advice so those smaller fields I, i really do feel like even if there are some you know, TJ Hernandez's in, in those contests, <laughs> yeah. I, I do think there is sort of not an edge, but but your probability, you, you know, percentage paid, you know, like it, it makes so much more sense to narrow the field, if you will. Yeah. And I think that uh, one thing that people really don't even take the time to think about it. You know, if, if if you're a football fan, you've played fantasy forever and you just want some, some more action, you're going to jump into DraftKings or FanDuel and I don't blame you. If you go into the lobby, the games that are highlighted are those biggest contests, right? It's a million dollar prize pool, hundred thousand dollar prize pool for anywhere between ten or fifty bucks. For one and fifty bucks, you're you're gonna go after those. Um, and I I think the difference between just throwing if you're playing five or ten bucks a week and and that's your entertainment, like by all means, you know, th- throw it at those contests. But if you're playing hundreds or even thousands of dollars a week and you, you want to be competitive, I don't think people even take the time to, to set up goals for themselves or like what they want to do. So mm-hmm. if you don't even take the time to do that, how do you know what, what game you want to play? So that that's kind of, I think, where people should start but never do. It's like, what am I trying to get out of this? Yeah, and, I, and for the person that's listening that's only got moderate experience with, yep. let's say, DraftKings, for example, how would you suggest, because it's easy for you to say that and for people to be like, yeah, that sounds good. But when it comes to football season, people are going to yeah. forget those words. So sure. if they're listening now, yeah. what would you advise them? Like, is there a practical way for them to manage their bankroll where maybe they're keeping some sort of 
rudimentary chart or, or some like is there some sort of advice where they can sit and be like all right that's what i'm going to do to start the season next year yeah I, the the advice is go it's going to be a little bit different if if you've dabbled a little bit versus if you've never played before um if you've dabbled a little bit whatever game you find the most entertaining or, or that you think you're the best at like stick with that game get really really good at that game and then figure out a way to it's it's easy to say like minimize your your downside and maximize your upside that that doesn't always mean um you know playing the smallest tournaments or or not going after after these big money tournaments but uh understanding that these contests aren't apples to apples you know the the difference between um uh two contests that look exactly the same one might be paying out 27 percent of the field one might be paying out 20% 20% of the field with uh, and, and then the money's going to be broken up between first place 10th place and, and the last cash uh, all, how those payment structures are, are laid out is really going to impact what games you should be playing if you're a brand new player get in there a little bit like play play a dollar here a dollar there in these different types of contests and figure out which ones make the most sense to you which one kind of fits your way of thinking and then figure out how you want to uh, allocate your money um, but but I think you could definitely allocate the money in a smart way that is going to um, maximize your fund and, and maximize your uh, expected value, hopefully. Right. I mean, I think realistic expectations are what you kind of have to stick with for, from the outset when it yeah. comes to when it comes to DFS. I totally agree with all of that. Let me ask you about your process. So, yeah. you know, the, the NFL pricing comes out, obviously, super early in the week. Do you have a sort of a standard process you go through every single week just to call down your player pool and things of that nature? Yeah, I, I think with um, doing doing content uh, while also being um, a, a relatively high volume player, the the lines get pretty blurred because I am looking at uh, so much more than than the average DFS player. Um, but from from a DFS perspective, I think the most important thing that I'm looking at are the, the two biggest numbers are going to be the the player projections and the ownership projections. Um, the ownership projections is really how I'm going to narrow down my player pool. And again, d- depending on the types of games that I'm playing, if I'm being a cash game player, if I'm playing on on one site, I'm trying to narrow down my player pool to nine players i i'm trying to figure out a single value lineup that, that fits for cash games whereas um in tournaments it's going to depend on again it's what kind of player you are if you're playing games like i'm playing my player pool might only be 15 to 20 players because i might only be playing one to five lineups that week whereas a a um mass multi-entry player their player pool might be 80 players so the the data that I'm looking at is, I think, the data that a lot of people are looking at. I'm, I'm looking at uh, volume numbers for, for the running backs and the receiver types. I'm looking at Vegas numbers for um, the, the, the big uh, picture um, over-unders, obviously, uh, implied point totals for my quarterbacks. And that's going to have a trickle-down uh, uh, impact on who I'm using. But even if I'm a, a mass multi-entry player, I'm, I'm probably only using four or five offenses in a given week. So that could give you a, a pretty good idea of how small your player pool could get, even if you are playing 150 lineups. Yeah, and I think I think your approach mirrors Mike McClure's as well, because you know we go over what we do. We have a Tuesday and a Thursday show, and on Tuesday we just go we go over basically at the front half of the show the lineups that we had, and, and yeah. Mike's always got basically five lineups that he submits. I usually have a few more frankly mm-hmm. but you know I, I do believe and i do a lot of dfs golf as well i yeah. do believe in a narrow 
sort of player pool because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think some people get into the issue. They, they want, they don't want to miss out. You're, you know, they, they don't want to yeah. miss out on this player and this player, and all of a sudden their player pool might be a third bigger than it should be, or maybe yeah. twice as much as it should be. And I think that's advice that people need to internalize. If you're right about your approach, you're going to hit big, and that's obviously what the what the goal is here. But TJ, you mentioned some of the some of the stuff that people look at. So we have like implied totals, for example, mm-hmm. totals, you know, those come out in the beginning of the week. Everybody can kind of see, okay, this has a 53 point total. This one's a 55 and everything else is, you know, 47 or, you know, 48 and a half, whatever it is. And then you're looking at volume. Of course, you want to know, you know how many touches you're, you're running back a wide receiver tight end or getting in, in that kind of thing. But going that next level, I'm, I'm curious, let me ask you a general question before I ask you which stats you actually really truly focus on. Sure. The general question is, have we come to a point, and I'm asking somebody who's dire- director of football for four for four, so maybe this isn't a question for you because you know, but but you'll you'll see where I'm going with this. Are we immersing ourselves in too much data and galaxy braining ourselves out of some maybe obvious plays or obvious pivots because we're just lo- we're just going way too deep on our approach? Um, I, I think if we're talking about data from a, a research point of view if you, if you are someone that uh is trying to do your own research and trying to figure out what stats you should be looking at i i think there is a lot of double counting going on um mm-hmm. 90 95 99 of the time if whether it's four for four or somewhere else if you have a a good projection system a fantasy point projection system most of the time that's going to be your best data point for projecting what's going to happen um those fan the, those fantasy projections are going to encompass whether it's the implied point total, whether it's a, a touchdown rate, whether it's a volume for a running back. Those projections are go for the most part should and do encompass all of those numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, how you're fitting that in with the second most important number in DFS ownership percentage, I, I think that's where people um, kind of muddy it up a little bit because when you like the classic example is when you have two guys that do have very close fantasy point projections on offenses with very uh, similar point projections when we could find the discrepancies in ownership I I think that's where we can find these really uh, big edges that still do exist in NFL they're they're harder to spot because there's so much variance and and uh, even on on the good decision weeks you could have some pretty bad results Uh, but I, I think where people miss the mark is just using that data properly and again like the the double counting of things like whether it be a red zone stat a touch whatever it might be um and then with things like like implied point totals i i don't think people are necessarily i I think implied point totals are really good one to to talk about i just think people use them uh in a very linear sense where i think you should be kind of using them in tiers like if you have three teams projected for 27 to 28 points and and one of those teams is going to be the most popular one just because that team is projected for one less implied point um that doesn't mean their their team should elicit 60 percent less cumulative ownership so i Mm -hmm. think that's where the opportunities really lie right and and i always you know i always look at target share as well or in terms of like how narrow are the targets for example in yeah. like the vikings offense you got jefferson you got Thielen. maybe you can include dalvin cook in there catching passes but there are some offenses where it's really spread out really thin so mm-hmm. so that obviously the targets are going to be more concentrated on one team yeah. even if it has a potentially a lower point total than, than another team yeah no, and, and those are those are the types of um numbers that i think are fun to look at that, that do just go beyond uh 
simple volume numbers. Touch share and target share numbers are are really good ones to use to exploit your opponent because it's going to give us an opportunity to uh, target some players that the the public might be low on. I, I think maybe a classic example is somebody like a, like a Marquise Brown um, in a in a low passing volume offense where Lamar runs so much. When Marquise he has a 27, 28% target share all year, but that's only equating to say six or seven targets per game. If they're in a situation where all of a sudden um, maybe they're big underdogs for some reason and Lamar's going to have to throw it 45 times, those are the spots where numbers like target share, I think. And when you are digging into mm-hmm. deeper data, those are the ones that I, I do think you can exploit. Um, touchdown rate numbers are another one. People, uh, really don't understand how much that could regress even within just a, a single season and and people will look at the the high touchdown rate guys will often be the ones that the the public's targeting because they're scoring a lot right but these um if you have a i don't know a travis kelsey in a in a chiefs offense and his target his his touchdown rate is low for whatever reason that number is going to bounce back pretty quick if it's a, if it's a amon ross st brown with jared goff throwing him the ball uh, maybe it's going to stay low all year Right. No, that totally makes sense. And we are going to take a quick break, but I do want to ask you on the other end of it, TJ, about those who actually can build and that aren't using optimizers. Maybe some of the stats that stick out to you uh, that, that, that maybe they should be paying attention to for those hand builders. Uh, but we'll be back right after this break. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. And we are back. I am with TJ Hernandez. TJ, I did want to ask you about, you know, the hand builders. I, I do yeah. a lot of hand building as well. And I'm curious, what are, it, it, again, for maybe the slightly newer fantasy player or even somebody who has a decent amount of experience, if you were mm-hmm. to narrow down some of the stats that are really compelling to you that you always want to either check first or check last, maybe a, a, certainly a box to check week to week. And, and, and I'll just throw some out there just because I know you're not necessarily looking at anything in front of you. Snap share, route share, red zone snap share, red zone targets, matchups, you know, wide receiver, cornerback or defensive line, offensive line, things of, of that nature. The first part is which of those stats or other stats are you really focused on? Mm-hmm. The second question is, where are you going to find that data? What tools are you using? Yeah, I, I think the, I think a couple ones that I'm, I'm. If we're just talking about non-ownership, non-DFS stats, just like actual right. football stats that I'm looking at. Um, mm-hmm. One, one of the biggest ones, and we already talked about this, just simple implied point totals. People over, whoever's sitting atop that weekly implied point total every week, or, or the top two teams, they're just going to get so much more hype than a team that's that's projected for 
whatever it is, 47 and a half uh, for a game that's projected for 47 and a half points instead of a, a game that's projected for 50 points. Like that second tier of offenses for the week in terms of that implied point total or over under, they're always going to be really exciting um, teams or, or games to target for me. And then I, I think just things like uh, regression in scoring rates looking for players or or um or quarterbacks that have are on good offenses or or running backs or wide receivers that are getting significant volume but just haven't turned those volume into touches i'm always really highlighting those players in my player pool just because we do know that those numbers generally regress to a uh to a mean whether it's a, a team mean a player mean or the league mean and especially if that's a player to even if it's just a decent offense not a bad offense those guys are going to bounce back. If, if somebody has 50, 60 targets on the year and they haven't scored yet, the public's going to be down on those guys. But I'm mm-hmm. always looking like those touchdown regression numbers are some of my favorite numbers to look at week to week. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to also ask you about ownership because you talked about ownership mm-hmm. quite a bit. And it's obviously really important in DFS in general. Yeah. But in, in football or in the NFL, how much are you – are there situations where let, let's say it's – Maybe not the smaller contest. Maybe, in other words, not the hundred entry contest, but maybe sure. the contests that are a little bit bigger. Yeah, are you just fading all of the chalk there? Well, like well, obviously that's a big macro question. It's it's situational week to week. But is it is that really truly the main priority, or are there some plays that are chalky that you just can't get away from? I think where people uh, maybe get tripped up on ownership a little bit um, is just thinking either way too contrarian or just not um not having the ability uh the the fortitude to get away from these plays that feel really good but that's mm-hmm. why they end up being the most popular plays especially if you do come from uh somebody that plays redraft like it's always player best plays right You're, you don't want to play a guy that's projecting for for low numbers um i think where people what people don't realize it even in these biggest contest if we look at something like the DraftKings millionaire going back as far as the millionaire has existed I mean salaries have changed a little bit whatnot but over the past two or three years even we see these winning lineups fit into a pretty tight range of cumulative ownership that's a number that we should really be paying attention to and that range has been about like 90 to 120 percent cumulative ownership so if you look at if if you look at whether it's four for four or somewhat or somewhere else, the projected ownership of each player on your team, if you add those numbers up, if you're within that range, you're probably on the right track. If you're lower than that, if you're if you have all nine of your players are projected for sub ten percent ownership, that's not gonna fly. If all nine of your guys are projected for over twenty percent ownership, that's not gonna fly e- either. But we we see um often just two or three guys that are sub 10% can win a, a tournament that's as big as the millionaire. And then kind of taking that a step further, if you are looking at that cumulative ownership, not just adding it up, but how are you getting there? The difference between one player that's 40% and one player that's 5% is going to be way different than two guys that are projected for for 25% ownership. Like, give me the guy that's going to be in 40% of lineups with the 5% guy instead of two guys that are going to be in, in 20% of lineups. Um, and if I am going to eat the chalk on those players, what position am I doing it at? That's another problem I, th- I think people really mess up. Like, uh, Alexander Madison, it seems like every year is the classic example. When, mm-hmm. if and when Dalvin gets hurt, 
I'm taking Alexander Madison at 40% all day. Whereas if for some reason, a um, a, a Justin Jefferson gets hurt, if everybody's playing Adam Thielen, like I'm just not playing a, a guy that's going to get eight targets and he's going to be 40%. That's just a, a way different beast. So I, I think understanding when to eat that shock uh, and, and when not to is, is a big um, thing to understand. And often it, it is as easy as just what position is it at? Right. And I, I definitely think that the, the positional argument is really solid because, and I think Frank brought this up. He did a, a show with uh, Derek last a uh, couple of weeks back. And I think unique ro- roster construction is important. Yeah. I, I know there, you know, there was last year, there was just a lot of heavy hitters that people were jamming yeah. into their lineup. And because of that, because the people were, you know, gravitating to the Cooper cups of the world, there were instances, yep. for example, where Jonathan Taylor was really just, super low owned and, and and frank brought up a, a situation where I, that, that was the game where jt scored like five touchdowns and it's yeah. one of those things where he had some ownership but the ownership was sort of gravitating away from him because of his price and because of what guys like cooper cup and some of those high-end talents some of the high-end talent was doing and i think kind of knowing that and be able to pip, be able to pivot on and be uncomfortable with the high-priced running back at times is going to be the play over you know some of the high-priced receivers that everybody is playing yeah, one of the things that I do every week during the season is is review uh, the lineups from the, the winning lineups from the biggest tournaments, the Sunday Million and, and the Millionaire, and, and these lessons are going to uh, pretty much you're, you're going to be able to use them whatever tournament you're playing. And one thing that I, I noticed specifically last year on on DraftKings a lot because of how tight DraftKings pricing has got is that we've seen lower ownership ceilings than we've ever seen before, like the. In previous years, every week you'd have a couple of guys that are 30, 40, even 50%. Uh, last season, and I think this is going to carry on, assuming DraftKings keeps their, their salary algorithm, we rarely saw players get over 30%. So the the advantage of, saying pivoting to a, a Daryl Henderson from a Cooper Cup when Cup's only 25% isn't as great as when you're pivoting to a Daryl Henderson at 5% and Cooper Cup's 40%. So to your point, I, I something that I really started harping on last season was using ownership and using these leverage opportunities, not just off of uh, a teammate off of a popular player, but looking for as much leverage as possible in one shot. And what I mean by that is sticking with the let's say daryl henderson cooper cup um if you can not just pivot off of a popular player but also that player that you're pivoting to say is a maybe he's a price pivot off of a player on another team in a very similar range or if he's going to get you to a salary range that nobody's using in that position you're kind of flipping everything on its head right if nobody's paying down at running back and you could pivot off an expensive receiver all of a sudden not only are you not playing that expensive receiver but you're also going down to a a cheap running back in a week where nobody's using cheap running back and the examples can be infinite, but just kind of thinking in those terms where you could kind of, uh, you know, uh, kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, I, I think are opportunities we should really be looking for. Uh, totally makes sense. Le- okay, so let me narrow it down for the listener. If you could tell the listener, or like just say the average DFS player, yeah. and I don't mean average in, in like they're just average, I just mean like just the everyday DFS player that's sure. playing NFL DFS to follow, and this is kind of a, you know, I didn't prep you with this question, so you might not have a, a, a set answer to it, but to follow two or three rules week to week to ensure they have at least a better chance of success. And I say that in the context of that article that you write 
you know, after each week goes and you're, mm -hmm. you just kind of like analyze what, what it sounds like you analyze what people did right and what people yeah. did wrong. What are you finding that people are doing wrong in, and, and if you, if you tell us that, I assume that there's <laughs> the flip side is, is what they should be doing right. If you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. I, you know, to in, in NFL, like there, there isn't a, a magic formula, right? If you're, if you're, um, paying attention to whatever subscription site or whatever content creators, um, a, a lot of these leverage scenarios uh, are, are well understood and, and you're going to be able to get that, that information anywhere. So I, I think from a lineup building perspective, um, understanding and maximizing those leverage opportunities, like I mentioned, is very important. I, I would say if you're trying to be the best DFS player possible from a week to week basis, I would say that the most important things you could do are kind of outside the actual lineup building. I, I think the most important things you could do are, are zero in on a game that you really like and get mm -hmm. very, very good at that game. Uh, maybe even a niche game, whether it be showdown, short slates. You know, a lot of people only play the main slate. These smaller four-game slates, afternoon slate, get really, really good at that. After mm -hmm. that, game select. What, what tournaments have the best structures? What games have the best structures? If you're playing double ups instead of 50-50s, you might be leaving money on the table because it's paying it's paying out a smaller percentage of the field. Um, review, review, review. I, I, if you are playing in, in contests and you're trying to get better, nobody is is reviewing. Like they, Every single contest you play on DraftKings, you could export the CSV and see every single lineup. If you want to look at my lineup, Osmo lineups, Mike's lineup, your lineup, you can see all of our lineups at once, calculate our exposures, match it up, see are, are you doing the same thing? And in the millionaire, there's hundreds of thousands of, of entries every week. I would be surprised if 100 of those guys are exporting those lineups every week and doing that. So I would say get really good at one game, game select, review, and then the last thing that no one is doing is late swap. Like nobody's using mm -hmm. late swap in NFL. I, 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 that's the, the single biggest edge in NFL is probably late swap. Yeah, and we did a lot of that. A fantasy football today, DFS. We we really there were situations where we should have late swapped or, or should have approached it differently, and we just we just analyzed you know how we did the late swap yeah. because there's so many situations where you're going into the four o'clock slate and you're pretty much dead, and mm -hmm. people just don't they just don't want to pay attention to that. They they feel like yeah. if the one o'clock games are going really poorly, then then I guess I'm done. But it is actually pretty easy to sneak in there. There was another thing was you know making. A carbon copy of the same lineup, something that Mike McClure does in, in some of the contests. So he'll have two of the same lineup in the same contest, and then you can always tweak one of those two depending on yeah, how, like, how it's yeah. all unfolding. So, and I, I, I want to say this too, TJ, the, the niche games advice that the afternoon slate, I can tell you just from my own experience, while I think I'm pretty good at the main slate, my best success in the last two years has been that four o'clock, three or four game slate. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I mean, we could do hours on on both of those those topics alone, the late swap and the uh, the, the smaller slate um, contest. But I, I think I think the thing people don't understand about late swap, especially even if you're not playing crazy high volume, if you're playing a couple hundred bucks a week or even a hundred bucks a week, even though even if late swap doesn't get you in the black on the week, like money not lost is money won, right? So if if you could salvage your week from losing you know having a negative 90 percent roi to a negative 40 percent roi just on one late swap that's money won. that at the mm -hmm. end of the year you're that's going to be that much more money um in your bottom line and, and then i think even if you don't want to um 
play a bunch of other slates. If you just think about it as a perspective of it's a um, it's an optimal hedge. A lot of people will play the main slate. Say they're playing cash games and and they want to hedge their lineup, so they play two lineups instead of one. If you're playing multiple slates, it's just kind of a natural hedge. You're, you might have some overlap, but you're getting exposure to players that you might not otherwise on the full slate. So you you're still playing your whatever you think your optimal lineup is without uh, doing it just for the sake of hedging and smaller fields um, easier to win a, a lot of times just there's sometimes you just find worse players in there because because uh, um, the, the the big dogs are focusing on these big tournaments yeah absolutely and I'll ask you a couple more questions before yeah. I let you go TJ and for the record we're gonna have yeah, as you've seen we've uh, every couple of weeks we have one of these off-season a podcast series with somebody like TJ Hernandez. So stay tuned. We'll have another one in a couple of weeks here. Let me ask you kind of a fun question, or maybe it's not fun. We'll see. And maybe you don't have any memory of this. I can tell you, I wanted to ask you about a bad beat or a lucky mm-hmm. break story. Um, my latest, uh, I shouldn't say latest, the luckiest break, it wasn't even a break, but the, the thing that really sticks out to me that really like won me like an extra several thousand dollars was the game where Kyler Murray threw a Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins with four Bills covering. Oh, and the Bills are your team, right, TJ? <laughs> yeah, they're my, uh, they're my adopted team. Or I'm adopted by them, I guess. So a great fan base to be adopted by. And I, I think the Bills are winning the Super Bowl this year. But w- with all that said, that play, like, you know, I was like probably 10th in a contest. I vaulted up to second in a pretty big single entry contest. I- I'm just curious. I always like the bad beat or the, or the just lucky break Hail Mary stories. Anything like that happened to you in the last like year or two where you're like, man, that, that wish that didn't happen or I wish it did happen? I, I always tell myself I'm going to remember the good luck so I, I, I don't uh, harp on the bad beats so much. And then, of course, they never stick. Um, I mean, I, I, I haven't had any crazy brutal beats in the last couple of years. Maybe it's just because I've been doing this so long that I'm mm-hmm. I'm numb to it at this point. Yeah. Uh, the, the one that's kind of seared into my memory is the um, – Calvin Johnson was playing against the Seahawks and he literally fumbled out of the end zone, like going into the end zone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, that, that fumble uh, cost me a, cost me a, a, a live uh, qualifier seat. So that one's always going to hurt for wow. uh, that one will never go away. Yeah. I'll say because we've been kind of referencing poker terms, particularly with bad beat. And, and I know you're, you're obviously a poker guy. I won't get into the story, but I, I played in the world series of poker in 2018. And I, I don't even know if I'd call it a bad beat, but it was full boat over full boat. And if I win this hand on day two, I'm probably in the top four or five percent of the field. It was such a breathtaking beat for another for another day, TJ. But yeah. that's when it comes to bad beats. For some reason, I, I got to relay that to you since you're a poker player. No, I get I get it. And our, our poker background probably helps us with the uh, the numb feeling we get when we get bad beat in, in DFS. Yeah, speak for yourself because it's just it's it's brand new and fresh every yeah, single time for yeah. me. Uh, let, let me ask you a, a couple more questions. I, so here's the thing: we got the NFL draft; it's coming up in a couple yeah. days, and then we've got just kind of this this off season part where it's just nothing's really going to happen. Training camps are eventually going to open after rookies report and and all of that stuff. But when the season starts, I'm just curious. You know, in the first few weeks where we were, really don't have any data, at least fresh data. Do you have a particular, like, different approach to the first few games of the season since we don't really have much of a sample size outside of the year before? Is there something maybe different in, in terms of your approach there? Um, I, I think that we're, we're kind of all going into early season blind. I, there, there are a lot of 
really exciting opportunities in DFS, I think, early in the season, like especially the first couple of weeks. Um, rookies and players on new teams, I think, are just always going to be wildly undervalued early in, in the NFL season, and, and you're often going to see that um, in things like ownership percentage. I, I think week one, week two, uh, maybe even week three, I, I think you could almost outside of, you know, teams that are going to have high implied point totals. Um, But you can almost blindly fade a lot of ownership early in the season just because people are uh, making decisions based on last year's data so often early in the year that there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, So I'm really looking at that. And then one thing that I have noticed is, I mean, just like us, Vegas takes a a couple weeks to get Mm -hmm. their, their stuff dialed in. So I would say maybe the first two, maybe three weeks is when I will kind of go off the rails in terms of offenses I'm targeting uh, for, for my um, for the teams that I'm just building around. Usually it's, obviously we know the teams with the highest implied point total. I like to go into that second tier pretty much all season, but early in the year I'll, I'll dip down to that third tier even, like teams that are projected for like the, the 23, 24 points that, that nobody's playing. There could be a, a, a lot of fruit um, on, on those limbs early in the season. Yeah, I find people think of trends sometimes when they're when they're not actually trends. Like the, the first couple of weeks, a team really flashes on defense, yeah. for example, and you're like, oh man, they've just got a really good run defense. Meanwhile, yeah. they played two terrible teams, and yeah. people aren't going to pay up for for the hot running back in week three because of what they did in two weeks. And the reality is, it's the perfect spot to play that running back. I think your sample size, and we we talk about this on the FFT DFS show in terms of sample sizes that are actually true to being trends, and and ones that just aren't really an adequate sample size yet and i think the early in the season you can really take advantage of that yeah people i think people really really butcher matchup data early in the year um it it takes uh it takes a while to get that going and and i I just think any data um that that's that small of a sample in general um I, i think people really overweight even even data that we think is very reliable like volume like you're gonna get your random guys that are are getting 10 targets per game in the first two weeks for whatever reason and and uh you know taking the taking the chance and fading guys like that can be fun too speaking of data before we get out of here tj tell us a what what you're doing now for four for four and maybe as football season approaches can you tell listeners what, what they can expect from you yeah, uh, like, like I mentioned, we've kind of got uh, pretty heavy into the the Formula One game. We've actually partnered up with uh, Run the Sims, and we've been putting out um, a, a ton of really good content projections there. The um, our, our Run the Sims partner, Justin Freeman, actually shot first place in the main GPP in the F1 contest uh, yesterday. So uh, we've really been going hard on that. And then football-wise, um, even if you are a, a DFS player kind of the the nice bridge in the offseason between uh super bowl and and preseason is best ball so we've been really firing up um our our best ball offerings this year specifically uh underdog we have a bunch of really great tools that sam Hoppin over at 444 has put together and we have uh some series that are coming out that explain how to be really good at these underdog these big best ball tournaments kind of everything that you and i have been talking about translated to uh to best ball so i I would definitely check uh check that out because i mean best ball is if if you want to listen if you want to tie up your money for 10 months there's no better way than best ball (laughs) i think that's my problem with best ball more more than anything else but i guess if you're tying your money up for a long period of time you may as well do it in the nfl yeah so that would be 
that would be the counter to that. Uh, TJ, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. For TJ, I am Sia Najad. This is Fantasy Football Today, DFS, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.